and we're going to invite our speaker up now, which is Mark. Come up, Mark. Please give him a warm welcome. But I just say, we've been here about 10 years, my family and I, and we have been so blessed in this church. It's been a real family to us. So thank you to everyone for all your prayers, all your support, all your encouragement. You've just been a real blessing to us. Thank you. Um, come up, Mark. Um, can I say a prayer for you, Mark? That'd be great. Sorry, Abby. Father God, we thank you for Mark. Thank you for bringing him to SBS. And we thank you for the word he has for us today. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive from you. Amen. Very much, mate. Um, very exciting. It was very hot in that church. So it, it was, I'm sure it was about anointing. The Holy Spirit was very present. But it was also, like, very hot. Uh, but amazing to see... How many of you were there? Were there, like, 17? It was very moving to see, uh, yeah, 17 people. And that's just from our area... Uh, of the Diocese of London. So really exciting. People following their calling. And I'm going to talk about calling today. Yeah, do you see what I did there? Um, uh, so my name is Mark Bishop. If you've not met me, I'm the Associate Minister uh, of St. Paul's Shadwell. Um, I've been a priest for a little bit, um, which has been very nice. 15 years ago, I was ordained uh, at St. Paul's Cathedral and... Um, I still feel like I'm learning a huge amount, uh, which is true for all of us, I think, in any walk of our life, isn't it? And um, I just like, we are a church where we believe in everybody's calling. And for sure, there's some of us who feel that call in the Church of England. Uh, and that's one way uh, that we have felt called and we've pursued that. But we all have calling. And that's what I want to look at and stir up in you this morning uh, we've been looking uh, at various passages from Matthew over the last couple of weeks. But that's because we're following the lectionary, which is the kind of Bible reading plan of the Church of England. Uh, and it can be very complex. If you, want, if you like problem solving and puzzles, I suggest you order yourself a copy of the lectionary in its paper form. And you try and work out how to do all the readings in the right order through one year. It's actually a three-year cycle. There's all sorts of layers to the lectionary. But in simple terms, there is a very powerful thing that happens, which is that churches across the Anglican communion globally are all looking at this passage that we're going to look at this morning. So in Poplar, where Phil is this morning, our rector, uh, they're going to be looking at this passage. Where P Philippa is, uh, up at St. James the Less this morning, in Bethnal Green, uh, they're going to be looking at this passage this morning. And we here at St. Paul's, uh, a church which has sent out so many people uh, to like all different parts of uh, London and the world, uh, we're going to look at this passage this morning. Probably the most famous sending out passage in the whole of the Bible. And I've asked Kirst, our church warden, to come and bring her authority and, uh, and read. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just stick it on here. Uh, morning, everyone. Um, I also wouldn't be a very good church warden if I didn't mention that Gareth is doing his first communion today, which means that he's going to be leading us in communion. So I would love all your love and best responses as loud as you possibly can, because this is, this is, he's only ever going to be able to do this for a first time today. So as a, as a congregation, I'd really love us to be able to encourage him as much as we can while we sit here and he leads us in, in his first communion. It's really exciting. <laughs> right, brilliant. 
So we're going to be reading from Matthew this morning, chapter 9, uh, verses 35 to Matthew 10, uh, verse 8. So if you'd like to follow in your Bibles on your phones, or if you've got your, a physical one, that would be amazing. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is chapter 10. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and illness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who portrayed Jesus. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter in any town of the, of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal those who are ill. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks, Kirst. Um, all right. Well, I mean, this passage is zinging with so many things, and uh, I'm not going to try and cover all of them. Uh, I'm going to try and address a few uh, different aspects and actually look for uh, just a kind of a simplified version in some ways of what uh, Jesus is really, what's going on in this passage. Michael Trainer preached uh, last week and uh, did an amazing job uh, looking at these three encounters that Jesus has with different people. You can go back to YouTube or onto Spotify now to listen just to the audio of our preaches. Um, and you can listen to his. It's really good. And Michael framed his preach, as he often does, around one sentence that is very memorable. And I'm going to test you now on that sentence. No, I'm not really. Uh, <laughs> um, he, this is the sentence. If you're, you might, it might help you remember it. Jesus calls everyone into a partnership of faith which is fully transformative. Jesus calls everyone into a partnership of faith which is fully transformative. Uh, that sentence, I think, probably could, have, could be applied very much to this passage today. Um, I'm not as sophisticated as Michael, uh, I don't think. So uh, very simply, I want to look at uh, three things. The first two is this. Jesus calls us to pray and Jesus calls us to go. Jesus calls us to pray, Jesus calls us to go. 
he says in this passage, right, he, he says in this amazing phrase, the, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He says, uh, ask therefore. That can also be translated, pray therefore. It appears in Luke's gospel as well. Pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest. So number one is this. We are people who are called to engage with the harvest by praying. Now, our question, our first question might be, what is the harvest? What's Jesus really talking about here? So Jesus is with the disciples, and there is a crowd of people uh, that they are amongst, and Jesus has this experience with the crowd. He sees them and has compassion on them. I'm going to come back to that at the end. Uh, And then he comes up with this phrase. So when he's referring to the harvest, the harvest is plentiful, he's talking about those people, that crowd of people uh, that he was amongst. In fact, Michael kind of depicts really characters, it's just happened just before in Matthew's gospel, Uh, Michael's preached last week, looked at some individuals who were part of that crowd, somebody who was seeking to just touch Jesus so that they could be healed. Somebody who had sent message to Jesus so that they could also encounter healing. These were the individuals who made up this crowd. They were people who had desperate needs. They wanted healing. You know, it's interesting that uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about some different Greek words. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. um, And one of the amazing Greek words that our English translation loses a little bit of that gets used is the word sozo. Can anybody say that? Sozo. It's quite nice to say, isn't it? Sozo. Uh, There's a great bit in a Will Ferrell film. I can't remember what it is. And it's like uh, there's a name that he likes to say. Uh, I think it's in Elf, is it? It's like uh, Francisco. It's always nice to say, isn't it? Sozo. Sozo. Sozo can mean three different things. Salvation, healing, deliverance. One word, three meanings. In the English version of the Bible, therefore, sometimes Jesus, somebody encounters Jesus and it says they were healed. Often the word is sozo. They were healed, but they were experiencing salvation. They were being delivered from something. In other parts, it says they were delivered, especially when it's more a spiritual thing, something that's dealing with the demonic or with unclean spirits. Uh, It says deliverance, but the word often is sozo. They were healed from that tormenting, uh, like, spiritual experience. They were saved from it, as well as being delivered. When we encounter Jesus, these are the things that we can expect to encounter that we might be healed, that we might be delivered, that we might be saved. And I think we need to just understand that that is what Jesus offers us. In fact, when we skip forward into the, what the apostles are commissioned uh, to, to do, they are sent out as ambassadors, was the word that got used yesterday at the priesting, ambassadors of the kingdom of God. People who were able to offer healing, deliverance, and salvation in Jesus' name. So that was just a little side context bit. Jumping back to the question, what is the harvest? The harvest that Jesus sees is people who are hungry 
and in need of healing, deliverance, and salvation. He sees people who are broken and needy. In fact, it's so interesting with Jesus because I think when we look at the world and people who are not necessarily experiencing what we are, they haven't met Jesus in the same way, they might not have even heard Jesus' name, we can think, oh, you know, the harvest out there is not plentiful. People do not get it. In fact, I feel pretty weird sometimes because what they believe is so different to what I believe. Uh, We can think the opposite. The harvest is resistant and hard and not, you know, they don't want to hear. But Jesus is amazing, isn't he? Because Jesus is not saying, there are all these people who are able to study me and understand everything that I do and why I do it and I'm sent from the Father and et cetera, et cetera. He says, there are people all around me who are in need and they are plentiful. That's who the harvest is. Anybody here this morning feeling in need of something? Hurt, yeah. Hurt, in need of healing, a a bit disorientated, in need of deliverance, in a a tough spot, in need of provision, uh, feeling like you're about to drown, needing salvation. This is the harvest that Jesus talks about, and therefore it is plentiful, because the world is in a state, isn't it? The world is in a state, and, and and it's not hard to say the world is crying out for healing. The world is crying out for deliverance. The world is crying out for a true use of power, a leadership with integrity, right? Food that will actually sustain us. Redistribution of what people need. So this is the harvest that Jesus is talking about. And and in the context of looking at this harvest, the first thing Jesus says uh, is not... uh, not go and work out how to uh, like meet all of those needs straight away. He just says, pray, pray. And specifically, he says, pray for workers, people who will be able to then go and meet the needs. So called to pray. So number one, uh, Jesus calls us to pray for the harvest. So my question to you is really simple. Are you praying? And not just for yourself. Are you praying for the world around you, which is hurting and in need of deliverance, and in need of salvation. We are all called to pray for workers for the harvest. Uh, And it's so key. And when we begin to pray, an amazing thing happens. We step out of our own, like, sense of being able to solve problems, out of our own wisdom, and we step into God's wisdom. I find prayer, I talk about prayer a lot, so people expect it. That's probably why it's point one, really, uh, as well. Uh, but it's great. It's biblical. Uh, you know, we, when we pray, an amazing thing happens. Because actually, when we pray, this is what begins to happen. We surrender to our own power, and we put ourselves in a place where we are humbled before God. We, we say, I, I'm I'm betting now, not because, you know, you get to a certain point and you can't do this as much. Uh, I had some ligament issues in my knee last year and I, I couldn't kneel. And, uh, but I can now, so praise the Lord. Uh, but whether you can actually kneel or not, in your heart, prayer allows you to say this. God, I don't know. 
I don't know, I don't know where this healing is going to come from. I don't know where this deliverance is coming from. I, I'm not even sure of what I can do, but I can pray. And this is the beginning of prayer, that I would surrender to you, that you can do something. So this is the first thing. We pray. And what happens is that we then step into God's mind, his wisdom, and if we want a more modern word that feels like it's got more substance, it's often in today's kind of uh, systems and uh, the makeup of our society, God's strategy. We step into not our own strategy, but God's strategy. And God has a strategy for, first of all, you to experience this good news of the kingdom that Jesus is talking about, but also for the whole of the harvest that is all around us in the world. God has a strategy. Uh, Some years ago, uh, I didn't live in East London. I have to confess this every now and again. Um, And uh, I lived in West London. Yeah. 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 And there is a West London. It's crazy. Like, honestly. I lived in West London for quite a number of years, uh, and um, Carrie, my wife, and I, uh, we felt very called uh, to uh, move into this one uh, little neighborhood called the Acton Vale Estate. Very small in lots of ways, uh, only about kind of 1,800 people, uh, and we ended up moving into this estate. And we did that with a, with a few different friends. Uh, it was an incredible uh, experience. And uh, in many ways, we thought we were going to live there for the rest of our lives. Uh, everything since leaving that estate has been uh, an adventure for Carrie and I that we'll no doubt share more about in, um, in due course. But, uh, but we, we felt really called to this place. And I, I can't quite tell you exactly how we felt called but it was something deep in us that was stirred for the people of this place. Uh, and a loads of amazing God things began to happen as we began to pray. We started just by prayer walking. We would just do a lap of that, of that estate. And then God started to surprise us. I started to get woken up in the middle of the night and I'd be like, oh Lord, I just want to go back to sleep. Uh, but I felt like God saying, um, especially in the summer, I was much more receptive in the summer, um, uh, go, go and, and go and pray in the estate now. And I'd go down, it was about 20 minutes from where we lived before, and I'd stand in the middle of this like uh, basketball court, and I would, I'd pray psalms for that estate. And, uh, and then a couple of years after that, we were able to move onto that estate, and it became our home. One of the other things that we did with our friends, uh, in fact, one of our friends, James, he, he was, he's really one of my best mates, uh, and uh, we, James and I were, were kind of challenging ourselves in fact, it was James, really, who said, can we do something where we can just regularly go to the estate and be around? And so uh, James is kind of like, he's, he's basically a kind of rock musician who works for the council. I think there are quite a lot of those. Um, and uh, unless, well, there are in West London, at least. Um, <laughs> and uh, James, uh, in a very unlikely way, said, you know, there's an outdoor table tennis table on the estate, one of those concrete ones. Uh, why don't we just get some table tennis bats and tennis balls and we'll go, like, I've got, he had one lunch break that he could use every week for it. Let's go at that time and we'll just play table tennis and see what happens. So that's what we did. We became table tennis enthusiasts. Uh, More than that, urban, urban table tennis enthusiasts, yeah? 
Uh, and I mean urban because what we discovered was that the table tennis table was kind of right next to one of the kind of graffiti walls. And it was a key place where a very entrepreneurial group of young men used to sell things uh, on a daily basis. Uh, and, uh, and so the, the table tennis table, we hadn't realized, was actually like their kind of coffee table. Uh, when I say coffee table, it just meant that there was a lot of Fanta had been spilt on that uh, like table tennis table over the years. Uh, so when you played table tennis, because some of you are just here for the table tennis bit of this story, uh, that you played table tennis, what would happen is that your ball, if you were lucky, would bounce, and then often on the other side, it would stick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, that's one kind of drawback to urban table tennis. The other thing, some of you might know this, because you're probably experts in urban, urban table tennis, is that uh, on a windy day, it's pretty hard to play table tennis outside. Those balls are not designed for outdoor sports. Uh, so then you would play your shot and your ball would then swing off in a different direction. Our ball seemed to always get blown into the corner uh, of the, where two walls met, which I think was like the equivalent of the office toilet for our entrepreneurial <laughs> young friends. Uh, and so uh, our, our, it was... It was, it was very gritty, our table tennis experience. And all that to say, we didn't play much table tennis. What did begin to happen is that we began to say hello to uh, this group of lads. And they began to say hello to us. I think because we were so ludicrously awkward. Uh, and in a, like, we just had no real reason to be there. That they knew something was going on. They found out really quickly that we were Christians. They found out really quickly that we cared about them but didn't really know how to talk to them. Uh, and uh, they began to learn our names and we began to learn theirs. We then got into some amazing situations where we would talk about faith uh, and we would try and play table tennis at the same time. We really clung on to the fact that we were there to play table tennis. <laughs> uh, and um, and some, yeah, some incredible things happened out of that kind of situation. I'm telling this story, though, for this next bit, because we, uh, are, then uh, Carrie and I found out that we um, were expecting Freya, uh, and uh, we didn't know it was Freya then, but it turned out to be uh, a baby that we named Freya, uh, and um, uh, my oldest, and then some stuff happened with James's family where uh, he and his wife ended up needing to look after uh, her step brother and sister for a while. Any, all that to say, some stuff happened in our lives uh, that meant uh, that we suddenly couldn't go. We missed a couple of weeks, we tried to go back, and then we just, we just couldn't go and do this regular table tennis thing. And we, but we kept on praying. In fact, at that time, we had an alarm set on our phones uh, at, at one minute past 10, uh, I think it was that, <clears throat> every day an alarm would go off to represent Luke 10.1 or 10.2, maybe it was 10.2, pray therefore for workers for the harvest. So we kept on praying and we did it in a really simple way. There was nothing very sophisticated. I felt for those months huge guilt about the fact that we'd built these relationships and then we kind of were letting these lads down. We then ended up having, being able to move in and we got to know them again then. But, but about two, no, about a year and a half later, uh, this amazing thing happened. I got a text from a friend who's a Christian to say, 
there's a lad called Christian that you need to meet because he loves the Vale estate. I was like, oh. I, I, I mean, I think I know everybody who loves the Vale estate because there are seven of us. And, uh, um, and even the people who are our neighbors who live here don't love it very much. Uh, uh, but there was this guy. I was like, okay, I'd love to meet him. Can you, like, you know, uh, connect us? So I met with this young lad, Christian. So Christian then tells me a story uh, that has happened in his life and why he loved the Vale estate. Uh, he said, a year and a half ago, uh, I was praying, and, uh, and Christian, he actually is cool. Like, he's a really gifted, like, spoken word writer and rapper, uh, and he, he's just very cool. And um, a year and a half earlier, he'd been praying, and he, he was getting on a bus, and he was about to get on the bus, and he felt like God say, get on, get on the bus going in the other direction. So that's what he did. He got on the 216 bus, very famous West London bus. Yeah, sorry, sorry that you don't know about it. Uh, and um, uh, he got on the 216, and he then felt God tell him to get off that bus uh, at a certain point. He got off that bus. He said, I went through these, like, blocks of flats that I'd never really seen before, and then I got into the middle of this estate, and there was a basketball court, and there were some lads there, uh, who were dealing, and, uh, and so I just went over to them and uh, began to chat to them. And Christian, because he was younger and black uh, and cool, uh, actually had a confrontation with these lads in a way that we, my, you know, James and I, white, you know, almost middle-aged guys, uh, to, to the eyes of those young men, obviously I don't feel middle-aged right now, uh, <laughs> uh, we, we had not been threatening in the same way, other than they maybe had to suss out if we were police or not at the beginning. But, um, but, but Christian goes, and they see him immediately as a peer. And then after that first kind of bit of conflict, uh, they realize that he's not like them. But he is, but he's experienced something that has changed his life. And he begins to tell them his story. And the rest of that story is very messy. There is no, like, really clear. They didn't, they didn't all get saved. Uh, there wasn't, like, anything that... Uh, there was just messiness in their life. But there was a journey that they went on with Christian, and then later again with me and my friend James, where God definitely sowed seeds and impacted their life. I, I suddenly was like, Christian, tell me, when, do, you know exact, do you know when it was that you were getting on that bus? And he was able to tell me that it was the week after James and I stopped being able to go to that table tennis table. And I realized then that God had answered our prayer. He'd answered our prayer with, this, with Christian. In that moment where I thought, you know, all of my strategy, let's be consistent, blah, blah, blah. God had totally known what was going to happen and was able to send somebody else. I wonder if you need to know that today, that, that God cares even more for the people that you've had an impact in their life, that he has already sent people to go and bless them. He's already sent other workers for the harvest, because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But God is able to do amazing things with the workers. I, I was blown away. And, you know, I realized a few things in that uh, that time regarding prayer. First of all, prayer works. 
Like God does answer prayer. For sure, there's loads of other things that are unanswered and are difficult and are intention. And I'm not disregarding those at all. But God answers prayer. And, uh, and the other thing I learned is that it's very dangerous to pray for other things because we have a habit when we're with God of becoming the answers to those prayers. So I want to warn you, before you start praying for the people that you might be called to go to or the place or the, or the you know, whatever it might be, the sphere that you're called into, that it's dangerous to pray for it because you might well become part of the answer uh, for those people. You might be somebody who is part of the healing, who brings good news of salvation, who helps deliver and be a non-anxious, transformative presence in that environment. But we pray. We pray because Jesus asked us to pray. And we pray because we know that God has a way of then taking that and mobilizing us. And so it leads to that second part. That we, are pr- that we are called to pray, yes, number one. And then we are called to go. And I think this is the scary bit. And actually, uh, I think that um, we, we underestimate sometimes the, the reality that God has called all of us to go in some way. We like to put it on the other people, you know, the person speaking uh, at at the front or the one who's just a bit better at that than me or, uh, you know, the person who's a bit more cool and can write a really good rap, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, That's what I felt like with with Christian. I was relieved because I was like, oh, yes, I think you are called to go to them. Yeah. And maybe now I can kind of retire from this. Um, Thankfully, that wasn't what God was, was up to. But we are part of something where we are all called. And it is at the heart of what it means for us to be church. I don't know. uh, We don't do it so often at St. Paul's. um, uh, But have you ever prayed the Nicene Creed and said the Nicene Creed? I don't know if you have. I'm not going to read the whole creed to you now. uh, But uh, the creeds are these uh, gifts, really, that we use in the church throughout the world that represent our orthodoxy, what we have in common, our core beliefs. And the Nicene Creed uh, was, uh, came out of the, the first council of Nicaea in uh, the uh, fourth century. Um, and uh, there's, that, there's one line in it, which I just want to focus on now. So we're just going to go to school for a minute, okay? I hope, you re- I hope you're ready for that. This is the line. Uh, I believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. Has anybody ever said that line when they've they've done the creed? Now, for for various people, they find themselves starting to say Catholic if they're not in a Roman Catholic situation, and they start to go, why am I saying Catholic? Are are we actually Catholic? (laughs) What happened? What happened here? And I just want to reassure you that the Catholic bit means universal. It's not referring to the Roman Catholic Church. It is talking about the fact that we are one church around the world. But don't just take my, uh, my word for it. I want to take you now uh, to what I found. I'm sure this was like God helping me. Uh, but I found the BBC GCSE revision page for the Nicene Creed. 
How good is that? Yeah, and a shout out to all those who are doing GCSE exams or have just finished any exams. Uh, probably they're all in youth, so bless them. Lord, thank you uh, for them. And uh, um, this is it. I'm going to read it to you. Okay. Uh, creeds, first of all. Creeds express and make clear the most important Christian beliefs, including about the nature of God. The congregation often recites them during acts of worship, usually standing. There are three main Christian creeds, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. The creed that is recited uh, in Mass or the Eucharist on a weekly basis will usually be the Nicene Creed. It's the most common one that the church uses around the world. Within the creed, the nature of the church is made clear in the final verse, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Then it quotes the catechism of the, of the Roman Catholic Church. This is the sole church of Christ, which in the creed we profess to be one, to be holy, to be Catholic and apostolic. These four characteristics, inseparably linked with each other, indicate essential features of the church and her mission. The words, holy, one holy, catholic, and apostolic, are often called the four marks of the church. To be one. The church is one. This means that it is a single, united, and global church which has its basis in Jesus Christ. Holy. The church is holy because it is the body of Christ with Jesus as the head. This does not mean that all members of the church are sin-free, this is literally in the GCSE revision, just to remind you. It means that the church and her sacraments help to make the faithful holy. Catholic. The word Catholic literally means universal. The role of the church is to spread the word of God universally across the world. Apostolic. The origins and beliefs of the church started with the apostles at Pentecost. It's great, isn't it? The G God bless the GCSE revision page. I was like, this is great. Uh, so you've done your GCSE in uh, the Nicene Creed now. Well done. I'm just going to certify you all. Um, and uh, easiest GCSE you ever did. Um, and I just want to bring us back to uh, what that one bit in it that says, the nature of the church is made clear. We are, called, we are one people. We are united. Despite our divisions, we're called to be united and fight for that with one another. Not, not, through, uh, not necessarily through technicalities, but through love, the way we love one another. We're, we're called to be holy, to understand again and again that Jesus is enough for us. It's by his grace that we are saved. If you need forgiveness over something, it is available for you right now. Jesus has done enough he has always done enough. It is ready and available every day right now. And we are apostolic. We are a people who are called to go. The word apostle uh, is not in the reading that um, Kirst gave in the English translation, but it's right there because it's the Greek word apostello, which means sent one. So when Jesus sends the disciples, he is apostling them. That's what it means, to send them. Interestingly, the Latin of that 
is missio. That's where we get the word mission. Mission is just the Latin for apostello, which is the word we use for apostle. We are an apostolic church. Yes, because Jesus first commissioned 12 apostles, sent ones to go and be these ambassadors of the kingdom. But also because they were to appoint us to be apostles with little a's, uh, to go and be that in so many different places and spheres around the world. Now, I just want to finish with this. We are called to pray, we're called to go because we are an apostolic church. But I, I, I want to just add in there to finish that we are, we are a people called to see and be seen. This is my like softer end that I think we need to hear. Our hearts probably need to hear this. We are called to see and be seen. This amazing, uh, Jesus, like Matthew, sorry, uses two amazing words to describe Jesus' reaction to the crowd. He says Jesus saw them and had compassion on them. The saw word to see is horeo, and the compassion one is amazing, and I'm going to try and say it. It's splanchnizomai. Yeah, splanchnizomai. That's nice to say as well, splanchnizomai. Uh, and, uh, and this combination of words gets used in a few different places. Interestingly, it's what the father in the prodigal son story, what happens to him. He sees and has compassion on his son. Same words, horeo, splanchnizomai. And what I want to finish on is this, that, that we see often in very human ways very worldly ways. We see according to so many different factors, right? And we know that we have unconscious bias in that. We've got so many layers that, that um, filter the way that we see the world and those around us. And as we're called into this transformative process, this process of holiness with God, uh, of sanctification, we're able to peel away some of those layers to become more aware of the ways in which we are biased or prejudiced, the ways that we are limited, the ways that we do judge and disregard and dehumanize others. And Jesus has an amazing way of seeing that is bigger than ours that he invites us into. Actually, it's the thing that we need even before we can begin to pray. We need to be people who ask to have Jesus' eyes and his splanchnizomai. You don't have to specifically pray that word. Um, splanchnizomai, basically, it does mean compassion. That's the English translation in so many places. But it comes from the word for guts, inward parts, vital organs. Jesus sees with more than his eyes. He sees with his guts. He sees with something that is going on in the very core of him. I imagine that is the place where he was also changed as he was filled with the Holy Spirit at his own baptism. He sees from the place where the Spirit is able to inform him, the very place where he says, I see what my Father is doing, the place where he knows that he sees as a son of God. 
as a child of God. Jesus sees, yes, with his eyes, but also with his guts. He's moved. And we're invited into a relationship with God where calling doesn't just come out of some sense of duty or some intellectual place that you have attained, as brilliant as those things might be in some ways. The core of our call to pray and then go comes from our guts. And so I ask and I want to pray for you today that you would be changed in your very guts. You know, this, this word for seeing that is, that is given to Jesus, it, it's amazing. It has so many obvious meanings. And then also, right in that word, the way that it was used in other parts of the Bible, it means two really special things. The first is to be admitted into a place of being able to witness. That just means that when Jesus sees us, when we allow Jesus to see us, we are able to become witnesses of that. Actually, this is what undergirds that last phrase, freely as you've received, freely therefore give. We are able to see others in new ways because Jesus sees us in a new way, better than you see yourself. Also, it means to be admitted in deeper into the more immediate presence of God. You know, I love in Genesis 1 that picture of the Holy Spirit hovering above creation. And when we allow ourselves to be seen by Jesus, when we realize that we're recipients of him, we begin to see the Spirit hovering over other places. We see him hovering over the estates in Shadwell, over Poplar, you know, over central London in those places of need. We see him hovering over the people who are, are grieving around our nation. We see him hovering over other places. And in that moment, we are able to enter into this place of prayer and being ready to go to follow Jesus. So I want to finish by just asking you, Yes, are you praying? Yes, are you getting yourself ready to go? Who are you called to? Where are the places you're called to go? What does it look like for you to be called in your workplace? But also, are you seeing with the eyes of Jesus and allowing yourself to be seen with that same compassion, with that same power which invites you into a place where you might experience more of the presence of God wherever you are, whatever you are doing. Would we stand, uh, would you stand with me while I just pray as the kids and young people come back and we move towards communion, this celebration of what Jesus has done for us that Gareth's going to lead us in. Uh, we're going to sing a song. Uh, the the band are going to lead us, and uh, we're going to sing this song. And I want you to just be able to use this song to allow God to just do some work with you. Primarily, I just would really ask you to let Jesus see you. Don't hold anything back. Don't try. This is not out of your own effort. But allow Jesus to see you. So I'm, I'm just going to pray uh, and then we're going to sing. Lord, thank you. 
Jesus, thank you that we're called to pray, we're called to go. But I thank you that before all of that, you see us. Even if we're a long way off, you see us. And you are moved by the sight of us. Like a father who sees his child after that child has run away and he thought he was dead and lost. You see us. Holy Spirit, would you come now and fill us so that we might be able to receive more of Jesus' heart and guts for us. That we might also be a people who are able to see and feel like Jesus did. So as we sing, come Holy Spirit and move among us, we pray.